Hey everyone, I'm Nicholas Andre. I'm running for both delegate and for e-board, so please vote twice if you're supporting me. Um, I first got involved in 2008 with the Obama campaign in New Hampshire. I got to drive one of the cars in the Smartercade, which was amazing. Um, I then worked on the Bernie campaign, became the slow uh, volunteer team leader, uh, and then managed the campaign office. And then I was fortunate enough to be elected the Bernie delegate for this region. Uh, I then went to the DNC, and when I came back from the DNC, we had so much amazing energy, so much amazing passion, and I didn't want that all to go to waste. So we organized, we created the Slow Progressives Democratic Club. We're at about 240 members already in just such a short time, and we're gonna be doing a lot of great good for this county. I wanna bring bold progressive vision to the state party now, and we can do that today. So if we go ahead and we can bring the political revolution to the California State Democratic Party, and we can do it while we're all working together, every person from every ideological background. Thank you, I'm Nicholas Andre. Please vote for me for eboard and for Delegate. Since then, supported Heidi Harmon, and and I really wanted to take away the one thing that's most important is, and I see it in this room, is that we all are showing up for each other, building a community grassroots effort that we can all be together, show up for each other, and affect change. And I really see that in the faces of the people that showed up for us today. I'd like to say that the main reason I'm running for office is because of the concern for the environment and water issues in San Luis Obispo County. As a farmer and a beekeeper, uh, being water-wise and energy independent is probably the most significant thing that can affect our county. Um, I'd like to say that um, showing up for us, being here today, means more to me than anything. And I'd like to go to work for you. And um, if you can um, vote for all 14 of us running together on Progressive Slate, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Those were the voices of Nicholas Andre and Violet Kavanaugh. They were two members of the 14-member San Luis Obispo Progressive Slate who swept to victory over the weekend in the assembly districts in California to take seats in the state party committee. This is Jonathan Tassini, and this is the Working Life Podcast. And this week, we decided to focus on the breaking news that the Bernie revolution is alive and well and has swept through California over the last two days of this past weekend. I'm going to speak with Nick, Violet, and two other San Luis Obispo progressive delegates who won their seats. And you'll hear from some people on site as I was actually at the election site in San Luis Obispo. But first, a few words of background. In California, the state party elects its delegates in a couple of ways. And one of the most important ways is by assembly districts. There are 80 assembly districts in California. And in each assembly district, people can run for a slot on the party committee. And to ensure diversity, the slots are split equally between men and women. And now this past weekend, there were 14 slots up in every single assembly district in California. That would be a total of 1,120 slots in the state party committee. And as I record this today, an astonishing thing has happened in California. Maybe not astonishing if you think about the hard work that has gone into organizing these campaigns, but as of today, Bernie forces have swept through the state to capture dozens, if not hundreds, of seats in the state party central committee. 
There are assembly districts where Bernie delegates, people aligned with Bernie, swept 14 out of 14 seats. There are many districts where Bernie delegates won 10 or 12 out of 14. And in other districts, there were slates that ran that may not have been directly affiliated with our revolution or Bernie Sanders vision type people, but they consider themselves quote unquote progressives. Because to be progressive, particularly in California right now, is a ticket to victory. Now, we'll have to see as time goes on whether those quote unquote progressives are in fact supportive of the Bernie Sanders vision, the Our Revolution vision, and we'll see that over time. But what we can say is the establishment is on the run. The establishment in California knows that the progressive forces are going to take hold of this party. Now, I do want to say a few words about why it's important to be in, engaged in the party. And I understand that many people have basically given up on the Democratic Party, and I totally understand why. But if you are on the Central Committee in California, on the State Party Central Committee, you get to decide a couple of important things. Number one, what the State Party stands for, what the policies of the State Party are, what kind of legislation is going to be pushed. The second thing is you have some control over the endorsements of the party, who the party is going to support in primaries at different levels. Sometimes you need a high level of support, two-thirds or more, but these can be very important endorsements that the state party can weigh in on. And lastly, it's a great entry point for people who want to run for office, say at the assembly level, even for a congressional seat. Once you serve on the party's state committee, you get known, you get connections, you get the kinds of support that you need to enter into politics. Now, for those of you who are listening outside of California, this is also relevant because every Democratic state party has its own rules about how its committees, its state party committees, are elected, either by a certain district or another process. And what is even more astonishing about this whole thing that happened in California was how many people turned out to vote. In San Luis Obispo, I was told by veterans who had observed or either participated in past elections that maybe kind of 40 or 50 people turn out for these kinds of elections because most people didn't even know what the state party committee was or when those elections were held. But this past weekend, over 700 people came out to vote. They stood in the rain. They waited their turn. The people who had organized this election, the caucus, had printed 500 ballots because they thought, well, that'll be plenty for this election. They ran out of the 500 ballots and they had to print 200 more on the copying machine at the Union Hall where the caucus was held just to fulfill the number of people who were going to vote. And that's a testament to democracy, the very thing that the Bernie Sanders movement was built on. The only reason people stood in the rain and drove to the caucus. There were cars lined up and down the highway right near the caucus building, the Union Hall, where the caucus was being held. The only reason that happened was because the Bernie Sanders movement, the volunteers in the San Luis Obispo area, put together an amazing campaign, reached out to people, built a democratic people's movement. And what this whole activity showed is that we can win. We can take over the Democratic Party. We don't have to leave it to the establishment to run. This is our party. If we do the work, if we don't just sit home and complain, if we organize, if we do the basic things that a campaign requires, 
this is doable. And this happened all over California in other districts. Hundreds, if not thousands of people turned out in a relatively obscure election, obscure to many people prior to this past weekend. They stood in line, sometimes for hours, in order to try to take control over the California State Party. Before I turn to my conversation with four of the delegates who were elected on the San Luis Obispo progressive slate, I want to give you a sense of kind of what happened on the ground during the caucus, you know, what it was feeling like on the scene. The slate members and the activists who were supporting them were asked to arrive at the location at 9 a.m. to prepare for when the voters were actually going to arrive. And sure enough, the people showed up at 9 a.m and we gathered underneath a tent right next to the Union Hall. The rain had started to come down, and the gathered people were given some instruction about what to expect at the caucus. The first voice you're going to hear is Nick Andre, who in many ways was the point person in organizing this whole campaign around the state committee seats. And then you'll hear a few words from Heidi Harmon, who recently became the mayor. She's a solid Berniecrat. She ran on a Berniecrat platform, and Heidi is now the elected mayor of San Luis Obispo. We need to make sure that we talk to every single person that comes in this door. We have a thousand flyers in this box of our slate flyers. We have uh, personal flyers. We have all kinds of stuff. So make sure we're talking to every single person. We need to work the room. That's how I won the, de the Bernie Delegate Caucus. I went in there and I just talked to every single person I could. I didn't stop talking for two hours. So, so, yeah. so that's what has to be done to win. Okay. So hopefully we'll have enough of our own supporters, but we can't bank on it. Okay. And some people might come here for someone else on the other slate, but there's only two men on the other slate. There's only six women on the other slate. There's spots for other people. So talk to everyone. Okay. Make your case. I just want to say, uh, I think this is so important and so powerful what we're doing here. And I don't know if all of us really realize how special we, what we're doing here in San Luis Obispo specifically really is. And I, I just really thank you all for coming out here. I know, I know I've had my sort of arc of um, unwillingness with this party. I know probably like many of you, I, I think we all probably have one foot out already. Um, and so the fact that we're stepping that foot back in and not just gently either, that we're really coming in with both feet today. So I, I think that regardless of the specifics of the outcome that we're definitely making progress. Um, and we've obviously had a huge impact here locally. And you can see the concern on the part of the establishment folks. And that and we should take that as a compliment. So thank you all so much for being here and being part of this. And um, I think no matter what the outcome is today, we, we're winning. And then when the doors opened, people crowded into a very, very small room, relatively speaking. Each candidate was given one minute to present their position, who they were, and why they were running. And there was a timekeeper there that kept pretty close time to one minute. To underscore how great the organizing was, every single one of the Slate members for the progressives showed up, with one exception, a guy whose son understandably had some baseball camp, but he did send a representative to speak for him. So every one of the 14 people running as progressives got to say something on their behalf. On the other hand, the establishment people, a number of people just didn't show up. And my sense is that either they thought they were going to lose, they knew they were going to lose, or they just didn't care as much as our side. And this is a key point that you're going to hear later when I talk to Nick Andre. Showing up matters. When there's a vacuum, 
that vacuum can be filled by progressives. You can take control of a state party or another mechanism within the Democratic Party by showing up and organizing because sometimes the establishment takes it for granted. After the one-minute speeches had finished, everybody had to exit that cramped room and had to circle around to register to come back and vote. And by that time, a large crowd had assembled outside, those people who couldn't even get into the building and had started lining up in order to vote. And by that time, again, it had continued to rain. People had umbrellas out. I think Californians who aren't used to the rain had to learn how to actually use an umbrella. But people, God bless them, they stuck to the line and the slate members worked the line from the beginning to the end, handing out pastries, handing out the leaflets with the entire slate listed on the leaflet. And I could tell just looking at the line that we were in good shape because I would say probably 90% of the people standing in line had the blue leaflet with the progressive slate members listed in their hands ready to vote. And I'll say now, pay attention later in my conversation with Nick Andre about the importance of building a slate and how that really was in many ways the basis for victory. And how unusual was the gathering of this large crowd? Take a listen to this veteran's words. And have you ever seen this kind of line for, a, for this kind of county committee election? Never, never. It's usually about, I was told it's usually about 20, 30 people, Sean, but we've got, right. I saw, I counted roughly 250 people here. That's amazing. That's amazing. And 250 people in the rain is like 500 people when it's dry. <laughs> and now let's turn to my chats with four of the people who ran on the slate, the Victoria slate. The first person you'll hear from is Violet Cavanaugh. And Violet is a vice chair of the Northern Shumas Tribal Council. That's an indigenous tribe located right in the area. So Violet, um, one of the things that I'm curious about when I talk to people who've been involved in the political revolution, have you been involved in politics, electoral politics at all before the Bernie movement or before this election? Not before Bernie. And I think that um, Bernie really inspired me to get involved in politics. I've been a community activist, an environmental activist, but never involved in politics before Bernie. And what, what did you do in your environmental activist role? Um, as, a, um, as a Native American and as a descendant of the San Luis Obispo County, the Chumash people, um, I've always been dedicated to protecting our environmental cultural resources and protecting um, the coastline here, the ocean, protecting our ancestors. So um, Bernie Sanders was really the only candidate that was a real stand-up person for the Native American people, our indigenous rights and our indigenous values. So it was really easy to latch on to him and his candidacy. But you had no interest in necessarily Democratic Party politics Absolutely until... Absolutely none. Not until Bernie came along. And was there, was it just out of, this doesn't interest me, or did you actually have kind of a negative feeling about Democratic Party I, I didn't feel that they actually um, took a stand. I felt like they were, you know, complacent in a lot of things. You know, whether it was right or wrong, there was a lot of complacency within the party. And I, I really feel like now is the time for us to really stand up and take a stand for what we believe in and not be in the middle of the road. We really have to like, you know, decipher what's right and what's wrong and what's right for the environment, what's right for, uh, you know, global warming. And there's, there's no way to be wishy-washy anymore, you know, on, on these issues. So one of the things that I've heard a lot from people um, who are, were involved in Bernie's campaign was that after the campaign, they felt to hell with the party, 
they didn't do by right by Bernie, but you seem to have at least come to the conclusion that it's worth running for this position for a Democratic Party county seat because... Because Bernie told us to. He said it's up to us. And, and more than anything, being a grassroots campaign, and this has taught me that it's really up to the community to take care of our own area. And, and I'd like to say that um, when, when you asked for our community to come out, they showed up. I think everybody's as fired up with what has happened in the recent political situation. When we asked for help, they came. You know, they responded and, and we'll show up for them. And, and I think that's the most important thing is that it's about community. So. And in particular, um, your particular perspective also it, it comes from being a Native American, right? Mm -hmm. From a tribe nearby mm -hmm. called Shumash. Shumash. Mm -hmm. And what do we need to know about, particularly about your community that is relevant to this? Well, the most important reason that I wanted to run in politics is because um, being in light of what has happened with the Trump campaign, with the politics of big oil and gas industry, our coastline is in danger here. We have a nuclear... Um, power facility that's being decommissioned. We have nuclear material being stored at sea level. And with global climate change, sea level rising, we're going to be um, storing nuclear contaminated material for the next of our lifetime at sea level. That's a huge threat to our environment and our homeland. And being indigenous, our people have lived here for 18,000 years continuously. So it's a threat to our homeland. And also um, the offshore oil rigs on the coast. We're proposing the Shumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary. And if that was to um, happen in my lifetime, it would protect Monterey Bay all the way down to the Channel Islands. So it'd be a continuous sanctuary off the coast of California. So I think that those are the, the main inspirations for me running is to protect the environment and the coastline. And you think that by being influential in the state Democratic Party, which is what this position would afford you to do, that's one avenue for you to change the party and make them more responsive. I think that it's one avenue. Anything that we can do at this point to change the party is to our benefit. I think just being there, showing up for every person that's underserved, every minority, every group that's underrepresented, we'll be there for all of them, for all the issues. And did you know most of the people that you now know or as your fellow running mates, if I will, before? Yes, well, we've all been working together for at least a year. And I've known almost all of them personally. But so prior to that, Not I'm prior to that. So the Bernie campaign brought all these people who are on this progressive slate together. All like-minded people all work really well together and all are just as excited and fired up to get to work. So I think that's what really brings us together is that we're all excited, we're all hopeful. We all have a really positive, good attitude. And that's such in contrast, I see, to a lot of people who feel depressed or demobilized, partly because of how Bernie's campaign turned out, but also obviously because of the general election, people feel like, oh my God, the world is coming to an end. But yeah. one of the things I found positive about San Luis Obispo, why I love this whole campaign and what the people here have done is there's a lot of hope there. Well, I think that sometimes you get someone like Trump in office and it takes that to get people to wake up and out of their comfort zone. It says, you know, right now is the time we need to act. We need to stand up for each other. We need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to take risks. And honestly, I never thought I'd be giving speeches and running for office and doing all the things that I've been doing, stepping out of my comfort zone. And I'm doing it because it matters. And your comfort and zone so is to be more um, sort of on the sidelines or sort of more introverted? Well, my, my comfort zone was definitely not politics uh -huh. before. 
I mean, it was something that I had to step up to do because nobody else was doing it for our people and our community. There's meetings we go to, there's events we go to, there's um, supervisors meetings where there's nobody else there in our favor. Yeah. You know, we're the only ones there representing the coast, representing the Democrats. We're alone. And so I said, we have to step up. Hey, but you mentioned also giving speeches, which yeah. I think sometimes intimidates people. So did you have to get over a certain amount of stage fright to begin giving the I just speeches? Keep, I just keep thinking that, that, um, that it's up to us to do this. And I can't, I can't ask other people to do it if I'm not willing to. So and you so, push as hard as you can, yeah. even though you're maybe a little bit nervous. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've definitely done things that I never thought I would be doing. So, and it's also been the greatest reward. It's also given me the most joy, and today was the most fulfilling moment I've had since I've decided to run. So of those 700 or so people that showed up, I probably knew, personally knew, over half of them. And that's and entirely from the last year, the Bernie campaign. No, the no. people from my community, oh, my friends, incredible. my family, people that supported my business, people that I met through farmers markets. I mean, I personally knew probably half of those people that came today. And that gave me more of more momentum, more encouragement than I could have got from anything else. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good way to end. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. And then I chatted with Quinn Brady, a member of the San Luis Obispo Progressives Democratic Club, who was also quite active and quite central to the election campaign of Heidi Harmon. So this is a great moment that I get to sit and speak to you like moments after you've heard what? Yes. And tell us the news. Yes, a great moment where we've just heard that all seven women from our progressive slate got elected to be assembly district delegates. Which is just incredible uh, organization. And, and the vote counts war, and this is the amazing work of the slate, was you all had in like 500, something like that, and then yes. the losing slate was down around 200. So yeah, it was clearly. It, no one in the losing slate was um, above 200 votes, and pretty much all of our seven women got in the 500s, votes of 500 or more. Which speaks so, to the amazing organization that you guys yeah, do. Yeah, and the incredible turnout. It shows how much motivation and momentum that we've built in this area. There are tons of people came and stood in the rain today. They stood for hours in line to vote, to cast their vote. First, and a lot of them didn't even know that these delegates existed before the past few weeks as we've been telling them how important it is to show up. And people, they answered the call. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about how you got all into this, because it, I could, could be wrong about this. Had you been deeply involved in electoral politics before this camp, before the Bernie campaign? I had not, not at all. I'd been um, mostly a, a traveler, a little bit transient, spending part of my time out of the United States and part of my time in. So, and honestly, politics always felt a little bit daunting to me. It felt a little bit dirty. I've spent my time concentrating in the nonprofit sector. But really, as I watched Bernie's movement and momentum grow, and I saw, I heard the way that he approached people-centric values. And he saw and met people exactly where they were. He was a real human who said, we don't need to show up in politics the way we have. We can, we can really change this game and breathe new life into it. That's when I said, that's something I want to be a part of. And so, um, so it was really actually when I heard that Heidi Harmon was running for mayor here locally, I felt like we can make a difference locally. I felt like the national level felt really fraught, um, but I knew that with some hard work and great people on board that we could do something locally, and we did. And what was amazing was the, the way in which you brought this community together 
both around the Bernie campaign but also around Heidi's campaign, and you won against an incumbent mayor who was running for election. It was a close vote, but you really turned in some way the town around, the city around. Yeah, it really does feel like that. Now everywhere you go, people are saying, oh, it's, it's so cool that this is happening. I want to be involved. How can I be involved? And I, I haven't been here that long, but as far as I can have, have seen and as everybody in this town has attested, it wasn't like that before. People felt really far removed from what was going on here. And now people feel like, hey, we can do this. I can be involved too. I can actually make a difference right here locally. And people, people want to step up to that. And what was even more amazing, my you were Heidi's essentially her campaign manager. Is that correct? Well, Nick campaign. Andre was technically her campaign manager, but I did work with Heidi every day closely on her campaign. Um, she calls me her chief of staff, but <laughs> unpaid chief of staff. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it works. But going, jumping from not being involved to then all of a sudden being this critical person, that's a big transformation for someone who has not done politics on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, it was. I honestly, I, the first, I reached out to Heidi and said, I, I want to support you. I believe in what you're doing. What can I do? The first thing was, can you bring food to a potluck that I'm having? So I started there. The second thing was, can you help me write, work on a candidate, candidate statement? So we went with that. And then from there, it was we really had a great compatibility working together and collaborating on um, coming up with events and writing. And it just kept, we saw this, this is a great group of people working together and it got more and more involved and um, we did some great work. And do you think that your feeling about politics and the way you got into it, you're slightly, people can't see you, but I'm just gonna say you're, you're younger. Yes. You're in a, of, I don't know if you describe yourself as a millennial, but you're a mom. Sure, already. I am. I'm 31. I'm a mom of a two and a half year old and I'm expecting twins. So that's So do you new think that you, you, you represent, that is exciting, and we wish you all the best on that. Do you think that that's kind of indicative that your experience, both your experience about thinking about how politics were alien, but the excitement and the possibility that you see in politics if you do it the right way in a progressive way? Right, yeah, definitely. I mean, even today at the delegate election, I was, I think, the youngest that was running, um, and there were maybe only one in, anywhere in my age group. Um, but it was uh, so many people said, I'm going to vote for you because of your age, because we need fresh blood. And really, so many of my peers are, are coming up and saying, what do we do now? How do we step in further? I think, you know, a lot of us have taken for granted. We've been through the Obama um, eight years and people have been, you know, doing great work everywhere. And now we see what's going on nationally. A lot of young people are specifically that are moms and dads to young kids, they're saying, wow, our children are greatly going to be impacted by what's going on right now, specifically with our changing climate. And so they're, they're stepping in to, to the call because they see that our children are really watching and they really need us to step up right now. Now, beyond the macro, because we love to talk about these great big concepts, but have you thought about what it means to be now on the state democratic committee because you will be on the committee? What's the yeah. agenda? Like, what do you do in the first meeting? What's your yeah. idea of how to push it forward? And also to show now all these voters who came out for you in big numbers that it was worth voting for you because you guys are going to produce. Sure. 
Well, I mean, people asked a lot of questions today. They wanted to know why you were running, why it matters to you. But I also got the opportunity to ask them a lot of questions. What matters to them? What they want to see happen? And the number one thing is, is people want to be more engaged. They want things to be more proactive. They don't want to wait for an election to come up to start campaigning, to start working on issues here. So I think people want to see more community outreach. Like, can't the Democratic Party be involved in what's going on right now, even on a communal level, just getting people together, collaborating, having conversations? So I think that um, for me, it's really going to be continuing to bring people together. And we've already started getting people together in working groups. We have people working on a climate action plan for our, for our city. And I think that that, the, that type of work will really increase. And then we'll be able to bring that voice and that momentum to the state level. And I think that the state is going to be, um, they have a, a lot to look forward to from this area. Now, it looks at this moment, assuming, I'm going to guess that the whole slate on the men's male side is going to win also. So you will have swept all 14 seats. Does that give you a majority on the county committee right away within the, it's an assembly we're, district? We're, we're a few short of a majority, but um, having only started this a few months ago, that's a pretty incredible awesome. victory. Inc I'm being so, practical about what you can actually pass and where you, whether you're going to have to build alliances with, if yeah. I can use the well, word, we, the establishment. There, there are already a few progressives um, that are still in office for the next year. So we have already have relationships with several people that are already on the committee. And so I think that there will be some things that pass that might not, wouldn't have, and um, I think there's definitely work to do, but there'll be a, a ton of momentum and new energy going in. And how do you then take it then this experience to work in the next year? Anything in particular beyond the assembly districts, but back in terms of the city, you know, sure. supporting the mayor? Yes, um, well, we have some new ideas coming out about how we can support the mayor's work and the city council's work and other um, progressive candidates in our area and in, in our county and district. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to bring some new funding in to get some momentum behind some of the bills that are coming up, some of the policies that we really want to see coming through. Affordable housing is really big in this area. San Luis Obispo is the sixth most unaffordable place to live, and so a lot of people in this area, that's one of their top priorities. They graduate from college and they can't stay in their hometown. And um, so a lot of people are asking, what can be done? And so that's something that we'll, I think we'll all be looking at is, what can we do as delegates to help push forward and support policy that um, will allow people to really come home to neighborhoods that they, they want to come home to and not places that they can barely afford to live? And as I've pointed out before in this um, segment and in this podcast, Usually about 25 or 30 people turn out for these elections, and yeah. you guys turned out about 700 people, yeah, which is kind of extraordinary. Incredible. And the lesson to me, I'm curious what you think about this, is that, you know, it, sometimes we bitch and moan about how terrible the Democratic Party is, but there are ways that you can seize control and own it, and sometimes there's just a vacuum. And if you fill that vacuum by actually talking to people and pulling them out, you can actually win. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think that that is what I saw as the possibility, and that's why I threw my hat in the ring a few months ago when I was asked if I would run for delegate. I, um, I really hesitated because I felt like, what can really be done? Is there, is there true change that can happen in the Democratic Party? Um, but I think today we prove that there is. Because people turn, turned out today that had already withdrawn their registration from the Democratic Party, but they came and they re-registered because they said, we see something happening here. We see this momentum, and we want to be on board for that. And so with that, that means that new blood, that people that are really see something happening and that care, 
that's what's going to change the Democratic Party. That's going to bring democracy. That's going to bring, um, you know, real humans that are in touch with other humans that are connected, that are listening, that are learning. It's going to bring them all back in together. Um, and I, I really hope that we're going to see some big things happen in the next couple of years. If there's anything that's going to give us the motivation, it's a Trump presidency. So here we are. We're all showing up. We're all ready to, you know, use all of our heart and guts to work hard. And I'm really excited about what's about to happen here. And next up was Sherry Stoddard, who was a regional director of the California Nurses Association. She was also a Bernie delegate at the July Democratic Convention in Philadelphia. And she has a particularly unique connection to the mayor of San Luis Obispo, Heidi Harbin. So Sherry, the first thing that I think is going to be fun to talk about is, and it's not about politics, Heidi Harmon, the mayor of San Luis Obispo, told me that you actually delivered her two children. You are a nurse. I am a labor and delivery nurse, and I was there for the birth of her children. So that was, that's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. That's what happens when you live in a small area, I think. And she told me that standing in line here for this uh, Democratic County Committee meeting. Now, you are a member of the National Nurses United, which as many of the Bernie Sanders supporters know, supported Bernie very early on, very progressive union. But tell us a little bit about how you got involved in politics, your own journey a little bit in, in, in a couple of minutes. Okay, sure. And I'm a member of California Nurses Association slash National Nurses United, so just wanted to throw a plug in there for the state part of the union. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a family that was very Democrat, uh, oriented, and I went to a few things with my dad. I remember going to a Hubert Humphrey rally in on Fairfax Avenue somewhere in Los Angeles, um, and just that he uh, was very, uh, you know, a liberal side of politics. But frankly, I don't think I really got involved in politics until I became a member. Well, probably before that, because I started to in my in my job. Uh, about seven years into the current job that I have, you know, working for a hospital corporation, and they were merging, I was became started to become very frustrated with the the politics at work. You know, we're just going to do more for less. We're going to do more for less, and and the, as the as the corporation continued to make a lot of money, a lot of money, and taking um, while taking away our ability to to care the way we want to care for our patients. And so we wound up, I myself and another, and another nurse wound up actually organizing our facility, our hospital, and um, bringing in California Nurses Association. And it was a couple years, but I, I continued to stay very active in that process. And that is being part of the California Nurses Association. I, I was sort of nominated to be on the board of directors because there wasn't uh, anybody from our region and I've stayed on there, continued to be re-elected, um, and have stayed on that because I, because I love the values and the politics of what's going on with CNA. So, so you brought in the union to your workplace, and then CNA's very active union. And was it the Bernie Sanders movement that brought you more engaged in regular electoral politics? I would say so. I mean, I would say that I would say that you know, as being part of the union, I would say that I was definitely becoming more politically savvy because we talk about politics all the time in our board meetings and how those politics affect the things that we care about as nurses. Um, you know, people's health, you know, education, all those things, they're, they're all political. Whether you like it or not, they're all political. Um, and then when, when so that was, that's been sort of my way of being political, other than I, 
a member of the uh, CLC, Central Labor Council here, and so you know, involved a little bit in it that way, but not always in agreement with uh, that, that exact, uh, you know, the middle, the middle Democrat kind of thing. But so. it seemed like a lot of people like you, and I think a lot of people, my sense is in San Luis Obispo in particular, but around the country, those people have connected to politics in an active way because of Bernie Sanders and the campaign. Would you Definite, count yourself? Definitely. I, I, I got totally lit up with Bernie Sanders. I mean, you know, I mean, I think he's just, he speaks to our values. He's like, he got up there and he said what we believe in, you know, caring, compassion, community, and all the things that go with that. As a nurse, I see all the time people who, who aren't getting uh, the appropriate health care that they need, who don't have the appropriate access, how they come in, you know, they come in as sicker than other people. Um, and then the frustration of trying to uh, bring single payer in. Um, but, you know, Bernie, he's just, yes, we need a clean environment. We need good education. We need to remember that there should be an equality here, an American dream that we used to have. And so he really did bring me into that. And, and I, you know, I ran. I got very excited about Bernie Sanders, ran as, a ran as a delegate and won and was at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. So was I. Yeah. It was quite an event. Yeah. So what convinced you now at the local level to decide to run to be on the Democratic State Committee through your assembly district? Was it the organizing of the local group? Was it the nurses union that encouraged you? How did that happen? I would say it was probably a combination. Um, I think when we got back from the convention, uh, those of us who were there who were Bernie supporters, you know, to a, to a person, felt pretty disenfranchised and uh, were kind of amazed at how disenfranchised we were and how not listened to we were by the leadership of the DNC. Um, you know, we were only 47% of the people there who were, who were there. That's a lot of people. Um, and so I think it was a combination of that. It was a combination of the... Um, the people who were there, who are local people here, saying we need to do something else. It was a, it was a, a definitely a, a union thing. Our, our, you know, CNA and NU wants nurses to be involved because we're, you know, sort of quintessential working people who see all these things that um, uh, that need to be fixed that are part of people's health. Okay, all of it: universal health care, good education. Um, uh, a healthy environment, things like that, you know, equality, access to equal job, you know, good jobs, living wage, things like that. It's poverty that really, you know, affects a lot of people. But still, uh, to decide to get into this local level, running for state committee, that's an extra commitment. Um, yeah. what, what made you decide, I mean, okay, I'll do this? Both the union and the local group. I mean, you bond, we bonded at the, you know, before and during uh, the, the uh, DNC. Uh, in a big way, and it was like, okay, what do we do now? Well, now, you know, as Bernie says, okay, now you're going to go in and you're going to work from the bottom up and you're going to let's get the leadership in the Democratic Party that, is, that has the values that we have. And how long have you lived in this community? I've been here since 1987. Have you ever seen this kind of turnout for I've, this? I I've, I've was amazed at the turnout today. I was just, I was walking down the line and it kept going and going and going and going. It was, I think everybody was amazed. And it was certainly the fact that it was, you know, they say usually only 25, 30 people turn out, and now they had, uh, let me start that again. 
they say only 25 or 30 people usually turn out, and there probably were five, 600 people here. I, I heard uh, from one of the conveners that um, they had printed 500 ballots and that they had to print, and that they printed another 200 more. Uh, I think that is, you know, I, I think that is, speaks to what's going on, people going, oh my God, these things can, you know, Donald Trump can happen, you know, and, and it can really happen, and it has happened here. We need to do something. My thing is, is that as I talk to some people in the line and they're in agreement and we all need to remind each other of this, we need to continue doing this. Don't stop, okay? We can't be reactive anymore. We have to be, you know, the Republicans are very, they're very focused and they continue and continue and continue. And we do a lot of reacting and I think we need to start staying that focused and in, in terms of the Democratic Party, which is what we're trying to influence, what you're trying to influence, what I think this long line tells us out here is that I understand why people have given up on the party right. and are frustrated by the party and are mad at the party. But the truth is that sometimes it's a vacuum. And if you just jump in and fill this vacuum, you can take it over. Right. And I think the turnout here probably has shown that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm hoping that. I think, I think that we are the ones who have done a whole lot of organizing. We know how to organize. Um, and I think that we did bring in probably the vast majority of people here. I hope that we did. Um, but yeah, the party needs to change. It needs to be, a, if, if it's going to be a party of the people, that's what it needs to be. It doesn't need to be Republican light or even Republican moderate. It needs to be the way the Democratic Party was supposed to be, Democratic with a little D. But, you know, yeah, it needs to come back to those kinds of values. And last but certainly not least is my conversation with Nick Andre. And I, I think you'll really love this conversation in particular because it's really a roadmap on how progressives, Bernie Kratz can win throughout the country. Nick, in some way, and I think people acknowledge that, was the anchor, the key coordinator of this entire campaign to elect these delegates. And Nick, I think one of the things that you can particularly give some insight to is how do we put this kind of campaign together? I mean, you were the person in some way, to, to a large extent, at the center of pulling all the details together. So let's get down really concrete. What did it take to pull the people together, to get the slate together, to draw this amazing turnout uh, in this election? Yeah, well, I mean, at risk of giving too much away of the strategy, um, basically we needed to just build a contact list, right? So we have all these amazing people who are out there who are doing hard work. But what was striking to me is that there wasn't really a central database of people uh, with like-minded interests. So what I did working on the Bernie Sanders campaign here locally is I made sure that I kept all those sign-in sheets that um, you know people signed in on when they came to a phone bank or when they came to Canvas for, for Bernie. Um, we kept all that data and when we got back from the DNC, uh, we started a Democratic club. So when you got back from the convention, you mean in July? Yeah, exactly. When we got back from the, the convention in July, um, we created a Democratic club, which I recommend that everyone does. Um, this is kind of a, a great way. Um, to, it's, a, it's a way to use it as an organizing tool. Um, so you start by having a, a, a contact list, using all the contact information that you've collected over, over a campaign, and then you kind of transition these people into a different organization. 
Um, and in what that manifested itself into for us was a democratic club, which we call the Slow Progressives Democratic Club. So lesson number one is keep your damn list from every yes. single <laughs> you, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds simple, but so many people don't do it. So, and even people you come in contact with just at an event or just having a conversation with um, or or anywhere, get their information and put it into a central database, whether that's an Excel spreadsheet, whether that's MailChimp, um, which we actually use for our email services, um, whether it's, you know, anything, just keep that information because that information is the most important thing um, for everything you'll do in the future. So for all those people who have been asking as we've transitioned out of this election excitement, how do we do this in Wisconsin? How do we do this in Michigan? Just remember that first thing, keep your damn list and keep your damn data. Yeah. And then then you built this club. Correct. So we took the data that we had and we started promoting the new club that we created. Um, To create a club, all you have to do is get a couple people together. In this case, it was three people. We got together, sat on a porch and talked about our vision of what we wanted to do and just drafted up some bylaws, which, you know, you can pull a template right off the internet. Um, We then went and started emailing all the people that were on those lists And we said, hey, we're going to try to keep the momentum going forward, join our club, and maybe we can make some difference here on a local level. It was hard at first because understandably, you know, after the convention, there was a lot of disagreement among the Bernie camp. Some people wanted to leave the party. Some people wanted to work harder to reform it. There wasn't total agreement. So initially you know, a lot of people were like, forget it, I don't want to be involved. But we had a great group of core people that wanted to just keep fighting. So we started with those people. And, you know, it grew from three people to 10, to ten to 25, you know, to 50. Um, and then it was really after the election of Donald Trump, when it started to really explode. Now, um, let me ask, let me jump in and just ask a question. How much did your growth and your cohesiveness, was that helped by Heidi's campaign for mayor? Uh, Yeah, it was. Um, Well, Heidi's campaign was interesting because the volunteers for Heidi's campaign were the same volunteers for the most part that came from the Bernie campaign. And we're talking, by the way, for my listeners, about the campaign by Heidi Harmon to become mayor of San Luis Obispo, which she did win by a very small margin. Nick played a very key role in that campaign. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. So when I was managing that campaign, I was uh, really actually kind of surprised at the overlap. Um, Well, I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised because Heidi was one of the the key people in the Bernie campaign locally. Um, But most of the volunteers came from that. Uh, from that campaign. And um, it did galvanize people, I think, a little bit uh, when she won. Um, People were really dismayed at what happened at the national election, but we kept hearing time and time again, Heidi, your election as mayor is like the shining light in all this darkness. Um, So that certainly kept hope for a lot of people, um, probably inspired them to continue to stay involved. But what also happened was the election of Donald Trump woke up the people who were on the sidelines, right? The people that were like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't count. Whatever I do isn't, you know, my effort isn't going to actually play a big role. Those people were really woken up by this whole thing. And they're, 
um, in about just the colossal failure of what the Democratic Party went through. Um, so they got off the side, the sidelines, and came and joined the club. And that's when it really, really started to grow. Um, I highly, the reason why I highly recommend you create a Democratic club uh, is not only because it keeps everyone organized, but also because it gets you representation on important things, right? So by creating our Democratic club, we automatically got one seat on our local party board, which is called the Central Committee. Um, it also gives us one member for uh, one representative for every 20 members we have on the endorsements committee. So by creating a club, you get to create this atmosphere and connection among um, like-minded people, but it also gives you power within, within the party structure. Um, and my goal was really to push for reform in the party. And this is an easy way to do it at a local level. Um, you know, that just leads you and gives you a good base to work from. Um, and that's really what built um, what happened on Saturday in these ADEM elections. You know, the work we did building this club up is really what pushed us to victory and what got us so many people to come out that day. Now, what made you think about running for delegates at for the assembly district for the state party committee? Was that always in your mind or did one day someone say, hey, why don't we do as a first step this campaign? Yeah, well, it was always in my mind a little bit because during the Bernie campaign, I started to do more research about the party structure and how the party functioned um, and who actually made those decisions of who got those endorsements and who made the rules for the primary, right? They were really interesting questions to me. Um, so I started to do the research and I got involved a little bit in the local party and I started attending some of the state meetings and I realized when I got there, it was really striking to me that it's just a bunch of people in a room who decided to show up, right? So there's a lot of people are like, oh, the party, it's, it's incapable of change, all that. I really disagreed because I went there and I saw firsthand that it's just a bunch of people that wanted to be involved and they just decided to just do it. In a lot of, in a lot of districts, that's all you have to do because especially in California, some of the more rural districts and stuff, there's always open vacancies. So you can literally just show up sometimes and get a position. You don't even have to run an election like we did. Um, so this is a very important point, which I've made in other places, I think actually in this podcast, that in a vacuum, and to, you made a very good point, that a lot of people are, if I can use the term, bitching and moaning and saying we can't change the party, but sometimes it's just about showing up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it really, really is. So I decided to you know, do some more research into how we could most effectively make uh, change as quickly as possible. And um, in California, we have these assembly district delegate seats and they actually make up a third of the total party membership um, that who make these decisions, these important party decisions. Um, and that just so happened that the elections were happening, you know, a couple, two months right after the general election. Uh, and I saw it as a prime opportunity to take advantage of what had just happened. And uh, yeah, we were pretty successful at it. So one of the things you'd have to do, and I'm curious what you did, is most people have no idea that this state party committee exists unless you're deeply immersed in politics. So it was a great turnout at this caucus, just blew everybody away, 700 plus people. And as you know, the line was around the building. But I would guess 90% of the people had no idea what this yeah. state party even did, this committee. Yeah. So didn't you have to do a lot of education about why this was important? 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. So, and that's part of what uh, the Democratic Club that we created did, right? So we would get people, um, we'd have monthly meetings, get people in a room, and we started explaining this process to them several months in advance. Um, so we kind of just, you know, at first, like, hey, you know, in January, just like mark your calendars, save the date kind of thing. We're going to be electing delegates to the state party. And so we started to just put, put it out there. Um, and as it became closer and closer, we started sending more detailed emails out. We would do email blasts with explanations of what they did, um, what these positions were about and why they were important. Um, and then we also um, did some, you know, text campaigns and just person to person contact, really um, trying to educate people on what this was and why it was so important. Um, and we really stressed the fact that, you know, these are usually low turnout insider elections. And if we just turn out our people, we can make a really, really profound change. So, And so we're going to come to that actual turnout process. Let's talk for a second about how you assembled the slate of 14 people. As I explained earlier in the podcast, it's seven and seven, seven women, seven men. That's the process within the party in order to have gender balance. What process did you go about to kind of select people? There were obvious people like Heidi Harmon, who was already mm -hmm. the mayor, yourself and Quinn Brady, who was instrumental in the campaign. What else did you do? Yeah, well, very thankfully, actually, I've had some great guidance by some fellow Bernie delegates that I met at the convention who were a little bit more experienced with um, the party itself and with the function of these elections. Um, so there was a core group of, of Bernie delegates from the state of California that met several times, um, did conference calls over several months to prepare for this. And one of the things we talked about deeply was um, preparing slates, how to do so, um, and about slate discipline. And so what that basically meant was that when we create a slate, we had to make sure that we didn't have, you know, 100 Bernie supporters applying to become delegates, because if you had 100 Bernie delegates applying to become delegates and then only 14 establishment Democrats, you know, you're going to split the Bernie vote and the 14 establishment candidates are going to win, right? So we made it clear to our membership that this wasn't something that everyone should apply for, but that if they wanted to, to run for it, that they should talk with us and we would have like a central organizing um, opportunity and try to figure out how best to strategically go about this. Um, so when we came down to it, um, I actually personally reached out to a couple people who I thought would be good on the slate. Um, others had already taken the initiative upon themselves to say they wanted to run. Um, a couple important things that I had to keep in mind was that you needed some diversity on the slate. Um, our community is not very diverse to begin with, um, so it was a little bit challenging, but we were able to get two Latinos on there um, and a representative from the Chumash Indian tribe. And um, so diversity is key, in, in especially in the Democratic Party elections. Um, also, someone, at least one person on the slate with a more uh, prominent name recognition, so that was Heidi. Um, that person can um, lend credibility to the slate and can turn out additional people. Um, but what's really important is that when you select someone to run for these things and you run as a team, that you're picking people that can actually turn people out. So, you know, I made sure that the people I picked were very much aware that it was their job and their duty to turn out a certain number of people each um, and th that were committed to voting for the whole slate. 
So I want to I want to underscore that that when we pick people to be leaders and to be slate people or in other positions, there needs to be some expectation that they will have some role and carry some burden that it's not left just to one person. And I think what Nick is saying is as he selected along with other people, slate members, it was, and maybe not this explicit, look, you're on the slate, but you got to turn out these people. You can't just sit home and expect to get elected. And that I think exactly. was how you built the victory. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. And the, the other big thing too, to remember is that in order to be successful in these elections, running on a slate is key. I don't think we really, um, that's actually the fundamental part of this. Uh, because if you run by yourself, right, and it takes, say, 300 to 500 votes to win, you have to turn out 300 people that you know on your own, right? And that's a really hard thing to do. Or in our case, you know, 500 or 600 people. Um, if you run on a slate, right, you only have to turn out one fourteenth of that number because every person turns out their people and those people are committed to voting for all 14 people on the slate. Mm -hmm. Right. So running on a slate to begin with is a strategy, um, you know, that is absolutely necessary to win something like this. So let's kind of wrap up with this point. Um, and I previewed in the podcast what an incredible turnout it was way beyond anything that any yeah. had experienced before. Was there something that you did the last day or two that in fact turned out hundreds of people? Well, um, yeah. So one of the things we did was a text messaging campaign. So um, we find that text messaging is far, far more effective than any other form of communication. Um, people nowadays tend to not answer their phones. A lot of people not even listen to their voicemails. Um, and the email open rates, you know, they're not, they're like in the 30%, 40% range. But texting has like a 95% open rate. So when you get a text message, I mean, it's in your face, you see it. So uh, we really focused our efforts on texting in the final couple days. Uh, we also um, did some press. So we had Heidi Harmon and a couple of our members um, go to the press and try to get them to um, you know, write articles. And we held a press conference and the TV news came. Um, so that helps. Um, that depends on the district you're in, I guess. Um, you know, If you're in a district that went heavily for establishment candidates, you know, getting the press may or may not be helpful, but in our case, uh, we had a, a majority Bernie district, so we uh, actually benefited from that. Um, so there's different things that'll work in different districts, but I think the one thing that will work everywhere is the text messaging. So. And those people turned out in huge margins. As I mentioned before, they ran out of ballots uh, and the slate members, to Nick's point about running as a slate, all the slate members basically polled a huge number. And then the fall away to the losing candidates, to the establishment candidates was huge in 500 plus for the slate candidates and then in the area of like 200 roughly for the other side. So it was, you know, kind of overwhelming. And so in building this slate and this movement, how did you build coalitions to broaden your effort? Yeah, it's a really important uh, point to really remember is that you want to build coalitions with other organizations, primarily because if you put everyone on a slate that is, you know, in the same universe or has the same network, um, you're not going to be able to reach enough voters because, um, someone's personal network of people they know may overlap with yours if you're sort of in the same social networks. Um, so it's really important to pull from people that are uh, that are outside 
um, your sort of core network of people. So I want you to end with what are the two or three points you want people to be left with about how to continue to change the party, either at the state level or the national level? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just want to reiterate that changing the party from the inside is possible. And this is a great example of it because I still encounter a lot of people who think that it's not possible. Um, so I do just want to reiterate, you know, this is an example of it actually happening. Um, the other thing that's super important is just build a contact database. I can't stress that enough um, and use it. So don't build a contact database and then, um, you know, not contact people. We send out emails at least once every two weeks. Um, and it, it also gets um, people to feel more comfortable with who you are as an organizer because they're receiving your emails and they like what they see. Um, and it's a, just a better way to build a community. So, you know, build that contact list and, um, you know, that's how you can turn out your people. So. Yes, it's time for the Robber Baron segment. And I happen to see this great headline from, of all places, Bloomberg News. And it says, if you want to be a rich CEO, work in healthcare. Let me repeat that. If you want to be a rich CEO, work in healthcare. Now, for those of us average people, this kind of wouldn't surprise us if you think about the high cost of healthcare, the high cost of drugs, how much we're paying through the nose for all of this just to keep ourselves healthy and alive. You know, that's our gut feeling. But Bloomberg actually looked at the data, and I'm going to quote from this article that I read, and it says the following, among the 200 top paid U.S. executives at public companies, that's all U.S. executives at public companies, and I'm going to quote now, those in healthcare and pharmaceutical businesses were awarded average pay packages of $37 million in the recent fiscal year. And that's the most of any sector. Even information technology managers, which you'd think the high tech industry, they were $2 million less in pay. That's still pretty good at $35 million a year, but the ripoff artists at healthcare and the drug companies they're getting an average of $37 million in pay packages. And I want to emphasize that those pay packages are salary plus stock options plus retirement deals. And actually, most of the money they get is not in the salary like the paychecks that we get. It's actually in all those other benefits, particularly stock options and what they'll get when they retire in their pension benefits. And so for the hell of it, I went over to the AFL-CIO's corporate watch section, and they have a great website. They have a great section that looks at the highest paid CEOs. You can see that at aflcio.org. And sure enough, if you look at that 100 highest paid CEOs table, you can see a ton of healthcare and pharmaceutical CEOs as the highest paid executives. At the very, very top of that list is J. Michael Pearson of Valiant Pharmaceutical International, who was canned actually this past year in 2016, but the year before he made, and check this out, 
$143 million. And just a little bit further down the list, you'll find Leonard S. Schleifer of Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, and he made a cool $47,462,000 in 2015. And on the list, of course, is Jeffrey Leiden of Vertex Pharmaceuticals, who took home $28 million. And not too far below him is Leonard Bell of Alexion Pharmaceuticals, who made 24, actually almost $25 million. You kind of get the picture. If you work in that industry that is ripping us off, that's reaching into our pockets and making us pay outrageous sums in healthcare premiums and deductibles and for drug prices, these are the people who are making millions and millions of dollars. They're making it off the pain, the sickness of individual Americans. And so for this week, we decided to make the entire industry of the healthcare ripoff artists, the pharmaceutical drug companies, they are collectively the robber barons of the week. That's all for this week. My thanks to all the folks in San Luis Obispo, particularly the people who spoke to me, Nicholas Andre, Sherry Stoddard, Violet Kavanaugh, and Quinn Brady. Thanks to David Hebden, our audio editor. And again, hope to see you back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the Working Life Podcast. And if you can, we'd love to have you as a financial sponsor. You can do all of that at workinglife.org and click on the podcast tab. Check us out next week.